Welcome to the CX Impact Podcast. Speed up your customer experience success. The CX Impact Podcast is brought to you by Gemseek, your trusted analytics advisor, helping you predict what your customers will do next. Hello, everybody. I'm Momchu Blaskov, host of the CX Impact Podcast and CX Champion at Gemseek. I hope you liked the previous episode of the podcast. If you haven't heard it yet, you can find it on Spotify, YouTube, and SoundCloud. I'm very excited about the today's conversation. We'll dive into two of the hottest questions in the industry. How to prove the financial impact of your CX program and uh, how to align your team across the customer journey. In the first part of the conversation, we will provide guidelines and examples uh, on how to prove your program ROI and to go one step further by linking your CX overall performance to operational and behavioral data. In the second part, we will discuss why it's important to work with other departments across the journey and more importantly, how to do it. I'm privileged to have today as my guest, the CX guru, Diane Majors. Diane is an accomplished senior customer experience sales and marketing executive. She has rich experience in driving contribution to bottom line results through strategic planning and designing services to deliver consistent brand and value messaging. Diane has over 25 years of proven ability to identify opportunities in customer interactions in startups, mid-size and Fortune 100 companies such as Cisco and AT&T, and recently as a CEO for the Customer Experience Professional Association, CXPA. Dan is also a sought public speaker and thought leader. Thanks a lot for being on the CX Impact podcast. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Okay, let's jump directly with it. CX is still a relatively new discipline, and I'm seeing that there are people with very different background who work in CX. Uh, it will be interesting to share what's your path to CX and why you have selected the field. Um, yeah, the field kind of selected me, but um, I, I think that anybody with any type of background in any part of the company, um, everybody eventually impacts the customer. And I think having a broad range of experience across an organization from sales to operations, marketing, um, care, anyone can really champion this, this profession. Um, I actually started as a psychologist in the first part of my life, and I took a break, and a friend and I um, built a company from kind of the ground up, an entrepreneurial company, and had great success doing that, so I was kind of hooked on, you know, how organizations build and and where they build, so I was blessed to be able to um, to do that and see all the various parts of an organization, how they impact an experience. So I worked in an ad agency, I did some consulting, um, but I really fell into it when I was hired by a CEO for the division of Cisco Foods Company. And he just believed, um, was very passionate about everything that we did was based on what the customer needed and how it was going to help their business. And he knew that it would then eventually help our business. So I spent um, a lot of time with the surveys and, and taking the results of that and building services and websites and reporting structure. Um, so I fell into it by accident, as most people do. But when I started to really discover that um, there, were, there was a discipline around this, this is early on, this is by early 2000s, um, that people were starting to do this as a discipline. And it was, it was rising up as something that became a profession. So, um, from that CEO then, I was called down to the um, Cisco corporate office as part of their enterprise transformation. So I really began to see the importance and impact of working across an organization, um, trying to drive transformation 
So there I learned, I learned operations and change management and UX and master data. Um, so then I started consulting and worked at AT&T for three years. Um, and then as you said, CEO. So I think anybody who's taking a path um, that recognizes they have a passion for this. Uh, I often, when I talk to practitioners, they say, you know what, I was really born to do this. I've always been very much a customer champion and I just needed the skills and competencies to think bigger and broader and connect the dots. So I think it's, um, it doesn't really matter your background. It's, it's about your passion and how you can see and help an organization to look at the bigger picture and really, really impact people's lives um, by creating those great experiences. Yeah, it sounds like a very long, but also super exciting journey. And I'm uh, hearing over, over and over again this, that really people who want to impact people's lives are working in CX uh, because it's really, uh, of course, other roles do it as well, but in CX it's uh, much more tangible. Mm-hmm. My next question is regarding clinical psychologists, because my wife is a clinical psychologist, <laughs> so I have oh. one, one of them at <laughs> home <laughs> to say this, and she helps me a lot uh, when it comes to CX as we really uh, discuss different uh, elements specifically when it comes to both customer but also patient experience, the empathy, compassionate yes. care, etc. So yes. I was wondering for you how this helped you to, to succeed in customer experience. Well, if you think about really our experiences as human beings, um, it's a lot about um, behavior, our behavior, and the emotions that we tie to any experience we have. Um, our subconscious and emotions, by the way, make up about 85% of why we behave the way we do. So if you're not really thinking about you know, what emotions you're driving with that experience or how you're making people feel, if you're helping them achieve their goals, um, you won't be successful. So I found it just blessed um, to be able to use that information and what I know about psychology to help understand human behavior. Um, because what, what people, why people do things is critical. I've seen a lot of companies with metrics and data and lots of operational pieces but they don't have any real answers as to why. Why did the customer behave that way? It's great to see a score or great to see you know, satisfaction going up and down, but and, and you know, people leaving if you have a churn or defection problem. Uh, we can get all kinds of, of, of data around that, but it's understanding the why. And that's what I love about psychology is that you can begin to really crawl in and understand what, what is really motivating people to behave differently. So that's why I think you think about design thinking, um, you think about how you're even, even your surveys are a touch point, right? You're engaging customers and understanding what their emotion is. Uh, if you really think about it, our emotions as human beings drive our behavior. And that behavior, when you're working in a brand, that customer behavior is what really drives your financial results. Because if somebody has a bad experience and they, they leave, um, then you've lost their customer lifetime value. If they go on social media and give you a bad review, that means that fewer people are going to come to you, which impacts your revenue and your ability to acquire new customers. So it's, I think, this connection between understanding the emotions and the subconscious and why people do what they do uh, and tying it to financial value is important. So that's that's how I, I use it. You don't have to be a psychologist to do this work, but it certainly does help. I encourage people to really think about the emotional triggers and, and what people are feeling and thinking that they might not even be aware of in this, in this subconscious. Yeah, that's really fascinating. It's the case. 
Can you give me an example of how this can be done in practice as uh, what uh, companies struggle with is really capturing the emotions of uh, their client. They might be capturing touch points, <laughs> yeah? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, they don't know exactly how customers feel and this is very hard to be collected through a survey or a questionnaire. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So I can give you an example of something that I, I, get, I get fascinated with. And um, There's now the capability to, to have video um, responses on your surveys, right? So how easy is it for people to just pick up their phone and get a, a survey that says, you know, get this feedback and to just turn on your camera and just, you know, talk to and provide a video feedback to an organization. Well, that's important because you get the text, but also in many of those platforms, they have what they would call emotional readers. So they can tell if somebody is giving you feedback. If you're looking at the text, you probably can't tell the passion or the frustration or the anxiety or the um, anger um, or even the joy that somebody's feeling if you're just reading text. And so the video feedback using biometrics and using facial recognition begin to attach those emotions to it. Um, it, it's, it's interesting that there's more and more of that coming into play. So, for example, cameras in, in stores, I know it's kind of a creepy factor sometimes, but cameras in stores can also not only see where you're going, but they can also read your facial expressions about a particular um, display, for example. Or if there's a QR code, how many people are actually scanning it, but then do they spend time looking at it? So we're really trying to understand more deeply this human behavior, but more and, and also what what's driving that information and how they're feeling in the moment. So I love that example of the video feedback because it's it's exactly what we have been missing for so long. We're just reading you know type comments, for example. That's really a great example, and it's really super interesting to see how uh, like the both sides of technology. Uh, we try to keep technology limited across the different steps of the customer journey or to have a mix of uh, personal and digital interactions. And at the same time, we see how technology at the same time enables us to understand uh, the feelings, emotions on a large scale much better than ever before. Um, yeah, you can, and you can think about that. That's kind of a, a high-tech way to do it. But, but even as, as things like in a contact center for service calls, um, there's nothing wrong with including when the agent's talking to the customer for them to acknowledge throughout their journey or their interaction, you know, they're, catch, they're catching those emotions, they can, they can sense them. And to be able to just track those, you know, how at the beginning of the interaction, for example, the middle of the interaction, the end of the interaction, how was the customer feeling? Were they still frustrated when they hung up the phone? Were they calling in angry? Um, were they looking for help? Uh, those things can tell us a lot too about what that uh, emotion and what the issue is that it's tied to. So there's also those ability ways to do that. It, it really just is being cognizant about where you're collecting information and where do you want to know? What do you want to know about what your customers are feeling? And those very critical moments, um, like in a sales interaction, um, when they have a problem, um, or when they come on board, we find a lot of people who don't really think about the onboarding experience, if it's you know, downloading software or when they open the product and are installing it. There are those moments of truth or moments that matter, people call them. Are we really thinking about those moments that matter? Because they matter because of the 
high emotion that's tied to that particular part of the journey. So we need to pay attention to that too. Where are the most emotional aspects of a journey and how are we caring for those? That's really very interesting and thanks a lot uh, for sharing. Now I wanted to focus your attention on uh, connecting CX to financial value, which is really a huge topic in the industry. According to Forrester, only 14% of CX professionals strongly agree that CX ROI is well established uh, in their companies. Why this number is so low? Uh, I believe that um, most practitioners will kind of, what I call, over-rotate on their metrics, meaning they're focused on a score or an index, like CSAT or Net Promoter Score, Effort Score. Now, those things are important, but they're more of an outcome measure of lots of things that happen. And to be able to correlate those results with financial value is important, but it's not as impactful as really telling the business case. So, for example, if I were to say, you know, we changed an experience with our onboarding, for example, at one company I worked with, and the onboarding experience, as we improved it, we found that um, customers would spend more. Um, we also found things like when customers had a great experience um, and, and we would get, you know, high net promoters for, we looked at um, how likely, not only were they likely to refer, but were they referring? Because if they were advocates for us, it was if we were able to then say, well, we've reduced our cost of acquisition. And lo and behold, we found that those customers who came in through referrals and advocacy um, stayed longer. Uh, they referred people. They bought more. Um, so we started to tie financial um, impact to all of those behaviors. And so I think it's this disconnect between we're going after these scores, but really we're not really talking the language of the executive. Executives are thinking about cost and revenue. So any customer behavior or what you're doing to change that experience should be able to be tied to a measure, um, like number of calls to the care center or number of um, new customers or anything that you can count is a measure. And so the ability to find those measures that um, are linked to financial impact, I think there's a lot more structure and connection when you're able to say uh, what we did caused a change in behavior, drove this measure, and therefore drove financial results, whether it's revenue, profitability, cost, uh, we're able to really think about it in, a, in a, a true ROI fashion. So I challenge um, practitioners to think about when, when you have a project you want to go do, you're going to be in line with many other people in the organization looking for money to invest to go do that project. And if you're not able to talk about, you know, the cost and the impact, whether it's revenue, cost savings, or um, even goodwill, it's some intangible, um, and tie that to financial value, you, you won't get funding. And so the ability for us to think about um, customer experience as a financial lever, changing that customer's behavior, and finding ways to do that is important. Um, so I, I think it's really discovering you know, what you're trying to change and how you're creating more value for the customer and the organization in true measurable ways. Now, I would also say, don't go it alone. When we talk about next steps, I'm going to talk a little bit about, great, I don't know how to do that. Give me, give me some examples. So we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> that's also exactly what I want to say. Is in theory, I think uh, the CX managers that understand it are 
uh, far above the 14% who say that they actually do it. But how to do it really in practice? What are the steps? People say that they don't have access to data, that it's hard to prove exactly what CX brought to the table. So really, it would be great if you can share from your rich experience and many success stories uh, in the past, also now as a consultant, uh, if you can really zoom into one and tell us like what are, what are the key steps and um, how to do it like uh, practically step by step. Yeah, so I would say that I, I say start with curiosity. So I always go to the customer and really try to define what's important to them. But let's find out what really impacts their behavior. Because if we're focused on working on things that don't you know, change their behavior and drive you know, repeat, call, repeat um, purchases or you know, acquisition, like what's standing in the way? What are they looking for that we're not providing? Then I go to the business units and I talk to them about you know, what they're trying to accomplish. Everybody in the organization um, has goals and they have those goals for a reason, but often they don't see that those goals are tied to customer behavior. So I need to understand the stakeholders and what they're trying to accomplish. Because if I can help them accomplish their goals and help them understand that it's tied and dependent on employee and customer behavior, um, that I'm going to be more successful in building my business case because you can bet they've already done that. They've already talked about what they're doing and getting their kind of current projects they're working on to understand where there's dependency on the customer and how you can help them achieve that goal. So it's one building buy-in and stakeholder um, stakeholder alignment, but it's also understanding what they're trying to accomplish. Um, yeah. Then I then I go to the CFO. Um, so, if anybody in the organization knows about the financial um, equations that the organization uses and how they calculate and know cost to serve or cost of acquisition, it's the CFO. Um, and guess what? That's who the CEO is listening to. So, if I can have a conversation with the CFO, many conversations with a CFO, and really begin to understand how the business um, calculates what they do and the impact and show that CFO how those things are dependent on customer behavior. I've got a champion, but I've also got somebody who can help me build a business case. And that's how I learned. Um, I went back and got my MBA. I worked with the CFO. Um, I really had to build this muscle because I, in psychology, I didn't worry about finances. I didn't, I didn't know much about, uh, about that. Um, I learned through the entrepreneurial company, um, but it was truly <laughs> yeah. focusing on you know what, if I'm, gonna, if I'm gonna have a seat at the table, I need to be talking the same language as my executive. So, so that was a great way. So then the CFO um, gaining their insight and then we're able to build models. So the ability for us to understand, hey, if we're gonna digitize something um, and we're gonna reduce cycle time, for example, well, what's that worth to the organization? Or if we're gonna make um, salespeople more productive and um, take away some of their tasks and put them on the street to service customers better, and we give them more sales time, what does that equate to in sales? So we really begin to tell these stories to the organization about, I call it kind of the what ifs. Um, what if we were able to do that and put, you know, give people back, the salespeople 2% of their time back, how would that translate into sales? And what are the things that customers need? So that storytelling part of it and, and painting the picture for how what we would do would impact these, the uh, financial results. Um, people start to equate customer experience is about financial results, not customer experience is about the score. 
So I think it's this, this shift in your own perception of how you talk about it um, and how you start to understand how the executives um, want, to, want to understand how it ties to financial value. Because you, you know they're, they're reading all the articles about companies that do this well get these type of, type of results. But you've got to show them how um, and tell them the stories and demonstrate to them, like I'm sharing the stories here, of how you've tied the measures and customer behavior to financial results. Fascinating. Sounds uh, really great and super specific. I wanted to um, zoom into two things. First of all, I really relate to what you said about that uh, psychologists are not into finance. <laughs> That's something that I'm like daily struggling with. <laughs> But the second thing and more important is uh, like what you said about the second step, go to the business unit goals mm -hmm. and really talk to them and uh, collect all the goals and start from there. Over and over again, that sometimes CX comes to a later stage and CX has its own goals for some reason. Whereas uh, it, I think it should be exactly how you explained. You go to the business unit goals, to the business units, you collect their goals and you start from there and see how uh, you can help them uh, through improving the CX to achieve them. Yeah, I, I worry about um, some organizations and some practitioners actually create their own silo as a customer experience team. And I always, <laughs> I was kind of jokingly tongue-in-cheek say this, but a good CX practitioner is working every day to work themselves out of a job. Um, our role is to facilitate and educate and bring the organization to a new way of thinking and working. And so it's less about focusing on you know, getting the information. Yes, we have to do that. But we also have to teach the organization how to design from that experience and how to make that tie to customer behavior. So I really see us as an enabler to the organization rather than it being one more silo. I think that's where people really struggle with getting their data together and trying to understand what information they're after, but they're not really thinking about the bigger picture of what other data the other business units are looking at and what's important to them. Um, so I think the perception of your role in the organization is really important to define because a lot of times we just put the bucket of, oh yeah, those are the survey people, or well, that's not what you want to be known as. You should be known as a internal kind of consultant an advisor, an enabler, somebody that can, can teach uh, the organization how to achieve those goals that the business units have by working on the customer behavior. So it's, it's also a shift to your point about how you see yourself and how you're seeing in the organization. Because if, if you don't define it up front, the organization will define it for you. And you'll find yourself trying to play catch up and convince people when you should be right by their side helping them achieve their goals. Totally agree. Something that we're seeing uh, as well out there is uh, that uh, some companies might struggle with proving the direct impact or the linkage between CX measurement, the score itself, and sales revenue or profitability. How can you overcome this challenge? I think for any, the, the correlation, as I talked about with the metrics, I think that's um, a good exercise. But I always say, you gotta, you gotta tell the rest of the story. Um, always, always, in any time we're making a shift, um, yes, there's going to be things internally, like in some digital transformations, you know, we've seen, you know, it's all about internal costs sometimes. But if we really think about the, um, the customer's goals and what they're trying to accomplish, um, you, can, you can look at anything that you do and somehow extract something measurable 
or even intangibles. Um, I'll, I'll never forget when my, the CFO, um, one company, we were talking about the uh, goodwill on the balance sheet. And um, I said something about, you know, I, I've seen the organization be a lot more collaborative. And he said, well, yeah, I'm more collaborative. And that means that we're spending less time um, in meetings. It means that we're more we're able to get to market quicker because we're more more, more collaborative and it takes less time for us to develop new products, get in the market, or make fixes. Um, we move to agile instead of waterfall development in, in user experience. Um, that has an impact. You're able to you know, be, be much more agile, but reduces costs um, and hours of time it spends to develop. And he said, all of those things, productivity is, you know, there's, there's dollars to that. If you make people more productive and you're reducing cycle times, it's a, there's a financial impact. So sometimes you really have to dig for what that the impact might be. Sometimes they're not going to be one. It's going to be intangible. But I think if you just continue to ask the question of what's the financial impact of this experience to the organization, you're, you'll get there. Because that's that's asking a different question. I call it there's more beautiful questions out there that we can we can ask. That's one of them. I always ask that question to anybody uh, when they say, oh, customers are you know, they're calling in the care center. Well, I say things like, well, it's great that you took care of the issue, but why did the call come in in the first place? How could we have avoided the cost of that call and the frustration from the customer and the potential defection by fixing whatever it was that had problems with in the first place? So I think it's it's helping be curious, as I said at the beginning, about what's happening with the customer, the why, and then how you change it can impact the organization from a financial perspective. And he's just asking the questions. That's really very insightful. And if you think there's large initiatives, small ones, I'm always very curious to learn if you have a story, if you can think of a story now about a really something super small, which really had a big impact and uh, high ROI for an organization, or it might be from your practice as a consultant or from your uh, experience in the industry? Yeah, there's um, one organization, they made they made medical devices, and um, it was kind of a complex ordering process for the, it was a B2B business, but the medical devices obviously for the patient. And one of the, one of the things that we discovered um, in the care center, which, by the way, I love working with the care centers because that's where all the broken experiences are ending up, typically. So they're a good diagnostic for what's going wrong or people are struggling. So we were getting a lot of calls and um, cancellation of orders um, where people and, and orders that were incomplete. So people were going in and starting orders, but you know they weren't finishing it. They weren't emptying their cart because somebody would call it retail. Um, and so as we began to really listen to the calls and we discovered that a lot of people you know, had been on the site um, or were calling in about a particular um, process in, in the ordering process, a particular part. Well, coming back to going and looking at the website and kind of testing it out, so we did some mystery shopping and we you know, went in and tried to replicate it, we discovered that it was a very simple um, miscommunication in the website, that there was a piece of content and instructions that drove people down the wrong path. And so it, it took them from where they would have kind of gone on this nice happy path and gotten their order complete and, and it was explained to them. Uh, what this particular component needed, what was needed, and why. But because it wasn't clear, they were getting confused. And there's your emotion. They were getting confused. 
and frustrated, and so they would just bail and go uh, place their order with the competitor. So by looking at that and really digging into the, the finding the right problem to solve, we were able to just basically change the content on the website, which uh, reduced the cost of the care center and increased the order rate. So it, it's really being, um, as I said, more of a discoverer and working with the teams to connect the dots to try to figure out where there's um, an opportunity to, again, reduce cost or drive revenue. And so that while it, while it wasn't huge, it was enough to have uh, an impact that moved the needle. The second part of that is then we, then we were able to start telling that story. So we took these very small things that we discovered that eventually would add up to big impact and started to share the story about how we did the discovery, where we found the problem, um, how it wasn't this big, huge thing we had to go do. Because um, most, um, I think, practitioners try to tackle these big rocks, I call them, these huge things, when, when in fact it was really something very small and took hardly any time or effort to change. But it was the way that we went on the discovery, um, being curious, connecting the dots to something that's happening upstream that really had that impact. Um, and then, of course, we put the value numbers against it um, and shared that part of the story, too. Yeah, that's really an amazing example, and it proves that it's not about the budget, having a huge program, but about uh, understanding uh, exactly the customer journey, and more importantly, all the feelings they go through in order, and solving small things can add up to something big. Okay, uh, great. We've already uh, touched upon a bit on this, but I really wanted to deep dive and understand from you. Uh, how can really CX team work with other departments uh, across the journey so that they can act as uh, one? Um, yeah, changing the way an organization works. It's, it's not a, a um, feat for a week apart. Um, however, I think it's, it's an example of that that I just gave where we worked with the care center and then the content um, team. By helping them connect the dots, by, by having them sit down and really talk about the marketing person, the content person, and the, uh, the web designer, and the person from care, um, having them sit down and really share the information and what was driving it, and, and bringing those teams together to solve the problem and to do more discovery, in and of itself built a great bridge. So anytime now that in that particular organization, we set up a cross-functional team that as care center reps began to identify these what I call red flags, like something's going on and they're having they're getting more calls about it, something, that they were able to go back to that cross-functional team and say, we're seeing these calls increase on this particular issue. What, what's going on? And having them do a diagnostic all together really began to bring um, more things to light that you could find again that right problem to solve. Um, I think a lot of organizations use journey mapping um, which is a great uh, design technique, but I think the most important part they don't realize is it's actually a collaboration tool and helps um, format the discovery process. Um, so I think they, they misunderstand it's not about the uh, outcome as much as it is about the activity of getting people to really understand that end to end. Um, I think there's things like understanding with, I remember I talked about at the beginning where you go to the different business units um, I think seeing all of those goals and um, how they, they are linked to each other um, and how they're dependent on each other um, are, are important. So mapping out the entire end-to-end, -end, what everybody's what everybody's measures and metrics are across the organization is important because then you can see how they tie together. 
Um, I also note that there's some ways you can literally put structure in place um, to help kind of drive more collaboration. So an example of this in one organization who was really good at their silos, um, we started to say for any, any project that gets launched, there must be a cross-functional steering committee. Now that doesn't mean it's the executives, it just means that there is a group that gets together that represents all parts of the organization and they must meet at the beginning to define the project um, because invariably you'll find that, oh, we have something going on that's linked to this particular problem or, um, oh, that's going to be dependent on us getting this right data link into Salesforce, for example. So not only did they meet at the beginning, but as the project progresses, this cross-functional steering committee meets and, and kind of guides the project in place. So there's no surprises at the end, right? Everybody's aware um, they're going back and sharing what's happening with their organization. So it's it's small. So we did that and said, you know, this is required. You know, the CEO is back and they say, every project must have a steering committee and there must be these report outs and, and good communication. Well, once we did that, um, eventually people just started doing it organically. So here we're back to the psychology of you're just changing people's behavior internally about how to collaborate. Once they do it and they recognize the benefits, they continue to do it naturally. Um, so I think that's, a, that's those are kind of important things that you can can lead people to. Um, so and then setting the target. So the targets when you think about those projects, we were able to then identify well how many upstream and downstream all across the journey, how many financial leaders are we going to pull? What's the impact going to be? So we create what we call these additive business cases. So if you fix something, you can believe that there's probably three or four departments that are going to get some benefit out of that um, and have impact. So that type of buy-in is, is important as well. And you're able to tell a stronger financial case. I really like what you said about the customer journey mapping that it's even not, I mean, it's collaboration and it starts the collaboration in the right way with having all the people uh, on board. Uh, and not so much focusing on the outcome if it's going to be 100% accurate, but the fact that you sit together, start thinking of um, the customer, the feelings, and each uh, step of the journey. Sometimes, though, we see that after the initial vibe that there is a stall in the program and uh, people might not be so enthusiastic from other departments. What can you do really to keep the initial vibe? <laughs> well... Um, I've, seen it, I've seen it happen a lot, and I would say it's about 14 to 16 months in where that, that pivot point tends to happen. Where people, if they're getting started in customer experience or they're rejuvenating their, their teams, um, they kind of get the basics right. They go you know, talk to the customers, they get their promise, you know, their guiding principles, they go get the data, they've got you know, the customer information intelligence coming in, they're looking at their scores. But they, they haven't really ignited the action, the insights to action. And they haven't been, even if they're doing projects and finding and fixing things, um, they haven't really embedded that, that change and really talked about the, the changing of the culture um, should be. Now, it seems like a lot of heavy lifting. But I think about um, customer experience is really 95% change management. And so you have to have a plan for well, what do you want the organization to do differently? And and how? What what do they need in order to work differently? Like, do they need time to go get training? Do they need time to go to these cross-functional teams? So I think it's identifying what it is you want the organization to do differently 
and have good foundational things in place for those too. There's lots of tools and techniques that practitioners have come up with to kind of continually drive this. Um, so, so look for those, talk to other practitioners, get some ideas. I also think it's important to start to make sure that the stories are heard, that you, they can see changes, that it's not just about, oh, our net promoter score is at this level, or our effort score is up or down. Um, it's about the story of how we're impacting human lives. It's about the story of how the brand is more successful. And I think another thing that um, to pull into that, it's also about the employee experience. So many times I find that, you know, when employees you know, hear this thing about, yeah, we want to be all about the customer, there's obviously some natural you know, adopters, but you've got people who are like, yeah, that's the flavor of the day. Um, because we haven't paid attention to the employee experience. It's like we put all this effort against how customers have all these pain points and uh, what we're doing for them. But have we turned that lens on the employees? Have we really thought about how they're a customer of the brand too? And how they come to work every day the tools that they have, um, how valued they are in the organization, uh, fixing their pain points, you know, how, you know, frustration with software or whatever it is. If we, if we really bring that same rigor to the employee experience, um, I think we find that change management is a lot easier because they understand um, how we change their experience and how that then allows them to have customer that better experience and they start to tie that experience is uh, an important part of what the organization does and that they're cared for and that they are willing to put in discretionary effort. Rather than kind of saying we need to go do all this for the customer, we, we do, but let's care for them and, and their experiences as well. Yeah, it's very important and what we're seeing over and over again that uh, even it's more, it's harder to improve your employee experience than your customer experience which is uh, very strange but uh, companies i mean the, when it comes to their internal processes where you're dealing with people there it takes them more time to adjust okay uh, as we're reaching uh, the end of the conversation uh, i'm asking all my guests to provide only one single advice to sales leaders what it would be yours <laughs> be persistent um, you've got to be a change, a change leader, uh, not a change agent. You have to lead the change. And I also would say, tell the, the value story, you know, talk about the value story, connecting it to customer experience, but also tell the human story. Um, I think, you know, Gene Bliss uh, wrote an entire book about this, but I've, I've asked it for, for years. Um, you think about when a customer has an experience with an organization, um, you kind of ask the person that you know is, is uh, responsible for that experience. What if that were your mom going through that experience? How would that make you feel? And it kind of gives a different perspective to that's a human being that um, has the same frustrations and challenges and wants to succeed just like we do. And if we need to be thinking about that and how that comes into play. Um, and then take take care of yourself. You, you can't boil the ocean. Um, you take one step at a time. Um, let let your momentum be the story, um, and just hang in there. It's a long it's a long haul, but it's a journey that's really worthwhile. Don't get discouraged. Um, you'll you'll start to recognize those small successes and small wins, um, and build on those because it is it is a tough but very rewarding role that you're playing in the organization. 
Thanks a lot for the fascinating conversation, Diane. It was such a pleasure. You're welcome. Uh, it was delightful. I'm pleased that I had as my guest today one on the CX Impact podcast, Diane Majors, CX influencer and inspirational leader who built impactful strategies and links them to the financial benefits uh, in order to drive growth. If you want to continue the conversation about anything you heard today or to learn how can JMC help you speed up your customer experience success, write us on the 6 You can also find uh, Diane contacts in the notes below. If you liked this episode, hit follow and visit gemseek.com to learn more. Let's make an impact on the world of CX together. Thank you for listening.